a final word seriously about this Greek thing. My appreciation to my family for it was a, it was it was a surprise until it wasn't, um, and I appreciate their recognition of all. After all the coursework through the years that one can take, there are opportunities from time to time where seminaries, work study groups, are, uh, give a, an opportunity for independent study. And this led to this particular study. It was year long. It started in January and it went through December of 2018. And for some crazy reason, I, I wanted it. It's usually just open for doctoral students. I've had all the degrees I care to have, but I did want to participate in the study for some crazy reason. Uh, so... And these opportunities only come around every few years. So I uh, was able to get into this opportunity. And I became, a, I became wrapped in a cocoon last year because I was so engaged. This was very <laughs> it was difficult. I'm not the brightest star in the constellation. So it was very difficult for me. Sometimes people misunderstand the phrase higher criticism. That's that sort of leads you into the rest of your life if you're a, a, a serious Bible student that I consider myself to be. But it means that you critically examine uh, the evidence. In the case of the New Testament, the Greek New Testament is brought to us via thousands of uh, pieces of manuscripts, complete manuscripts, complete books of the, of the New Testament, partial, partial fragments and so forth. And so when you love the Bible, you seek to be as, or at least in, in my case, you seek to be as close to the original as what it was when the apostle, the inspired apostle wrote it. And among those thousands of manuscripts and, and fragments and parts of manuscripts that we still have, here and there, there are, there are certain discrepancies. And so you critically investigate because now you want to find what is the closest, how, how, how can I get to the real original thing? And that's an interesting study. Uh, and you, you delve into those, those uh, pieces and, and those manuscripts and so forth. And in my case, we were, I was, you're given, one is given a series of different parts of texts or, or entire contexts from the Greek text. And within there, over, over the manuscripts, there may be one or two, a different spelling or a word that is here that it isn't here. 
doesn't really have anything to do with the overall meaning of the text. But you, you delve into this thing and so you study it and then you study the fragments and manuscripts and so forth that you have access to. Then you come to your, one comes to his own conclusions. Then he goes to these big thick scholar commentaries and sees if he has the same thing, the same finding that they had. And it's always a relief when you say, well, you know, I found out what they found out. Fast forward then to December and I finally gave my final submission. And I think I just collapsed like a beached whale. I just, uh, it, because life for me last year, was, it seriously, was just in a cocoon. I didn't realize it was going to be that way. But uh, I made this off-the-cuff remark, I'm going to have a Greek party. Dress up like a Greek and play Greek music. And somebody took it from there. And... and <laughs> There we were. The only thing I didn't do was the Greek dance, uh, nor did any of us, right? But I'm thankful to God for the opportunity that I had, uh, that I was admitted into the study, and that my family was so gracious to make me feel special. Now, I must be humble again, because the message is on pride, And I'll, I'll hasten to add, preachers perhaps above all others can be the quickest ones to have a swelled head and to think of themselves as being something. And one has to take care that Christ is everything in the church. Short-term gain, long-term shame. We've come to verses 7 through 14 in Luke 14. So here's the setting. Remember, this, this was in the house of a high-ranking Pharisee. This was, a, this was a special guy. Everybody wanted his favor. They wanted to look good in front of him. He was an officer, an official. So you had all these Pharisees, you had this U-shaped, according to the tradition of the day, it had this U-shaped set of couches with, with a table in the middle. And then at the, at the flat part of the U, the bottom part in the middle of that couch would have been the host. And then out from his right and to his left would have been the most important and the next most important and so forth. And so they had these ranks these ranks in Judaism. Uh, the Pharisees were really interested in having the first seats. They would walk into an assembly and they literally expected everybody else to just move out of the way and let them have the, the, best, uh, the best seat. This was their religion. It was a religion of works. It was a religion of pride. It was a religion of uh, arrogance. It was a religion of self. It was a religion of me and my promoting myself, self-promotion, self-glory. There is something about us in our fallen state, in our human state, that seeks 
glory. To seek, we seek to exalt ourselves above, above all others. Our culture increasingly is built on that. That you have the ability to, to fulfill your dreams and self-help and all this kind of stuff. Which builds man and exalts him to the point that he displaces God in his life. Pride is always brought low. Always. So Christ sees the problem. He identifies the problem. What is happening? They all have scrambled for the best seats to appear to be the most important. Christ then addresses the issue of pride and gives us this first part. Let's look at it. The danger of pride. Beginning in verse 7, going through what, verse 9. Then he was speaking a parable to those having been invited, remarking how they were choosing out the first places, saying to them, when you're invited by anyone to wedding feasts, and he uses the wedding feast because this gathering was a thing to trap Jesus, and they brought that guy in with a dropsy, but... A wedding feast would have been similar. They all would have understood. When you're invited by anyone to wedding feasts, do not recline in the first place, lest one more honorable than you might have been invited by him. And you and the one having come and he having invited you will say to you, give your place to this one. And then with shame, you take the last place. That's embarrassing. That's, that'd just be embarrassing. A mad scramble, once the host is seated, for the position closest to the officer, the official, the important guy. Each one of those Pharisees thinking that he is better than the rest. I'm the purest. I'm the most sinless. I'm the, I'm the one with the least sin. I'm the one who can obey the law. My, my garments reveal with all of the things that are dangling on them, my garments reveal that I'm better than anybody else. So there's this mad race to have the best seat. This is what Jesus is describing. Modern term would be jockeying for position. Here they are, these thoroughbreds, and they're stomping and snorting, and they're behind the closed gate. And the bell rings, and those gates fly open, and boom, out they come thundering. And all of the jockeys start moving in to position themselves to get into the inner part of the ring, the circle there, the track. And thus the race is on. When I was a kid, 
we when I when I was a kid in in elementary school, we it's nothing like it is today. We had monkey bars. Monkey bars were I don't know if it was lead or steel, some kind of pipes that were put together. Maybe some people know what monkey bars are. Well, you understand, they're little spaces that you go through. And in the case where I went to elementary school, the top had two spaces, two, two cubes, open cubes. Just a bunch of pipes is all it was put together. And the guys seemed like uh, the first thing, you, you know, you got all this, you got all this stored up energy because you've been doing something in class. Recess comes and you storm out the door and all the guys run to the monkey bars. And it's a race to the top. And you would hit and kick. You'd wrestle, you know, six feet off the ground. You'd be wrestling somebody, knocking him off. He'd boing, boing, boing. Hit the, pay, hit the pipes on the way down. You wouldn't dare cry. God never cries. <laughs> you'd snuff. <laughs> but you'd never cry. Somebody'd see you crying and then make fun of you, and then you got to fight, see? And we'd fight during recess. There was a place down, on, down in the big yard where we played football, and a little tuft of bushes, and you'd go right behind those bushes and you'd settle an argument right behind those bushes. So I think of how, with great pride, we would race to the top of that, those monkey bars. There'd be two of us, and then those two guys would have to fight. The downside of making it to the top was you had farther to fall and more pipes to bounce off of as you were on your way down. So you can think of this, this meal on the Sabbath day here as a bunch of Pharisees on monkey bars. And here was the top dog, the, the officer, the official, and they're all scrambling to have the next highest place. And from, from the position of the host, which would have been this official, the, your importance would have diminished from there the further out and down the, the, down the couches that you went. So Christ addresses pride. Why are you racing for first place? What if that guy in the middle of that first couch up there had noticed that you really weren't the one that he wanted next to you? And he would have turned to you and the guy that he wanted there was like eight seats down and he would have said, excuse me, but you don't belong here. I want that guy here. Get up and get out. That would have, poor old guy, you know, he scratched and fought to get that far, and now he has, to, he has to surrender that spot. That's what our culture is built on today, pride. The church has to be careful lest the church is built 
on pride. Pride. Where's the humility these days? Where's the humility? Think of our culture. Our culture is actively seeking, and I'm sorry to say, in so many corners and open fields is winning the battle to completely remove Christianity. Think about it, our culture, uh, the media, Hollywood, academia, the government. The whole culture of life is seeking to remove the church because the church is not the church unless through personal humility we have declared to the world I am nothing and therefore must have a savior, Christ. The mindset of the world cannot tolerate that, that's the world. And so they find, you ever wonder why they're all saying the same thing? You move from Hollywood to the media, you move from Hollywood and media to the upper echelons of, of academics and universities, and then into the halls of, of legislatures and Congress and so forth. How are they all saying the same thing? What do they do? Have this mass conference call every day? No, it's just human pride. It's the devil. It's, 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 the, it's the nature of a fallen human race. They don't have any choice but to all say the same thing and seek to destroy Christianity and Christians because they have no concept of humility. And you can't get into the kingdom unless first you are humbled even beneath who you are. That's not what's going on here at this party. These guys are, these guys are, are filled with pride and arrogance, self-exaltation, self-promotion, self-glory, me, me. To be self-serving, to serve themselves. So our culture is that way. Increasingly, the, the elitists of culture are, through any means necessary, trying to crush everybody else, and that includes the church. Now, the church has to be careful lest the church, by its own, by its own designs, seeks to have equal respect and power and favor with the world. Preachers have to be very careful because they don't want to look like they've been diminished in any way. We, I should say we. We don't want to look like we've been diminished in any way. Churches filled with pride. Hey, we don't want to look like we're diminished in any way. People are going to think less. It doesn't matter what people think. What does God think? You see? 
The church, the true church is built on humility, not pride. In these days, the church, too often, the church seeks to take that which she was never given to attain that which she can never have. Think about that. Here's the deal. Short-term pride equals long-term shame. Pride is always brought down. Always. It has its day. How long does it last? What's it worth to forsake the rudiment of the gospel, which is to humble yourself before God, to be poor in spirit, and to take the lowest place that he might exalt you. How long does it last for a career? A lifetime? How long, how long does the short-term pride last? How long? Not that long, really, because Eternity is not built on the accomplishments of men. It never is. It can't be. We're not the creator. That's why I have such a problem with, uh, with declarations from whatever community, the academic community, the government community, the Hollywood community, the media community, the scientific community, whatever. We're going to destroy ourselves. We're going to, we're going to melt the ice caps. We, listen. We're not that big. We're not that great. We're not that strong. We're just little nothings. We're like the, the writer to the Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he says, you know, we're just like a mist. We're a vapor. It kind of looks like something fleetingly, but it disappears and it's gone. That's you and that's me and that's this generation. That's every generation that's been before us. So here we are. The question, I could not believe there is this, there is this heresy among so-called Christians that is called post-millennialism. This is their honest belief. I thought they were all dead, but they still, some of them still live. Their belief is that the church will continue by, by loving each other and by doing stuff for the world. The church will impose increasing goodness in the world 
until the world is good. <laughs> and then Christ will say, now I can come back. Clean it up for me. Well, that's ridiculous. The question is, since the day of Pentecost, <laughs> has the world greatly improved? We're better off now than we were 50 years ago, 100? There's an argument to be made. But I can tell you this. The church is not designed nor created for that kind of advancement. We're in the world. We're not of the world. We seek to win the world, but are powerless without the power of the Holy Spirit, all from the design of the purpose of Almighty God. The point simply is this. Just to say that the church can change the world is within itself a statement of pride. The church can't do anything apart from the power of God in Christ with the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We are accomplishing the purpose, but it is to a ruined and evil world that Christ returns in power and glory. Because as long as we are in this present state, the fallen nature of humanity, humanism, human pride will work its darkness. As Christians, we have to understand that pride is no small thing. It destroys. The rise of humanism in our own nation is increasingly creating chaos, division, division, destruction, murder. On an unparalleled scale in my lifetime, I've been around the block a few times. It's because it's because the virtue of humility is despised. And the arrogance of pride is lifted up. And it permeates our very culture. You can be what you want to be. I did it my way. Well... I hope you like the smell of sulfur, if you did. So then there is the danger of pride, and then there's the virtue of humility. But when you are invited, having gone, recline in the last place, so that when the one having invited you might come, he will say to you, friend, come up higher. Then glory will be to you before all those reclining with you. For everyone exalting himself will be humbled. And the one humbling himself will be exalted. How are you saved? How are you saved? 
by declaring before God and man that you are unworthy, that you do not have the power to save yourself, that there is nothing within you that deserves any favor from God. Therefore, we come in repentance and confession, confessing our unworthiness and our sin, taking the place of utter humility. That's how you're saved. You don't come saying, well, I finished workbook A and workbook B and I've memorized, I've memorized this many scriptures and I've, I've, I've learned the constitution of the church. You don't come that way to Christ. I've done this and I've done that and I've done this and I've done that. You don't come that way. You come in utter humility if you're going to be saved. If you came any other way, here's what Christ says. You have the last place. That's a bad place. Bad place. Exalting yourself. To exalt yourself in any way is destruction. Sure destruction. We walk, the, the prophet said, walk humbly with thy God. Lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your path. You trust God. You walk humbly with him and never trust yourself. Good heavens. Eve trusted herself too much. And she, she thought, well, I'm, I'm worth this. I'm, hey, I'm worth this, man. God's, God's hiding something from me. And I'm going to take it. And look what happened then from there. So Christ says, you know what? The only way you're going to get out of this thing is to take the last place and humble yourself and let someone who can exalt you. So then, in that case, that which is long-term for you is good. Now, this is Christ preaching, teaching Pharisees whose soteriology, whose doctrine of salvation was based upon themselves. I started out good and I'm better than I was then. And I'm not sure I can get any better, but I'll tell you this, I deserve the first seat. God has to open that gate to the kingdom for me because of who I am and what I've done, what I've accomplished because of me. Things have to be good because of me. If you try to build things in a church on me, for a short term it may go okay, but then when it goes bad, it's on me. This is why Christ says, let somebody else exalt you. Now that brings me to the last couple of verses here. The glory of the gospel. 
Then he was also saying to the one having invited him, when you make a dinner or a supper, don't call your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they should invite you in return and recompense be made. There's nothing there. But when you make a feast, call the poor, crippled, lame, blind, and you will be blessed because they have nothing to repay you. You will be recompensed in the resurrection of the righteous. Two resurrections. You see, here is the great work of the church to declare before man his eternal destiny. You're either going to have part in the first resurrection or you'll have part in the last resurrection. The first resurrection is the good one. The last resurrection is the bad one. The first resurrection is heaven. The last resurrection is hell. The first resurrection is built on humility. The last resurrection is built on pride. So this is what Christ says. And we can project that down to this day and to this place today. The hope of the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That people must admit that they are sinners, they are worthless, they are nothing, they are fallen, they are filthy. And the only propensity, the, 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 the only thing that is within us, the only thing that can come forth from us is murder and lies and, and, and deceit and adulteries and fornications, all kind of bad stuff. This is what Christ said, from the heart proceeds those things. That's who you are as you are. So you stand up, me, 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 all this stuff is going to come out. It, it has to. That nasty fruit is going to bring forth itself in that pride. So that's who you are. That's who I am. That's who we all are left to ourselves. But the gospel of Jesus Christ comes into the world. Light in darkness. Do you want to continue down a path that leads you into all kinds of trouble and addictions and mess and, and stuff, broken relationships, hatred, even murder, and fornications and adulteries and, and all kinds of disease and nasty stuff that happens? Do you want to live like that? Or do you want, to be, you want to escape that? You want to be lifted up from that? Admit that you're a sinner. I, I did. I, I confess it every day on my face. Admit that you're a sinner. Humble yourself before God. Put yourself in the lowest place that you possibly can put yourself. I like to reference whale manure. Put yourself beneath whale manure. That's the lowest thing in the lowest part of the ocean. I can't think of anything lower than that except hell itself. Then believe in Jesus. Confess that you're a sinner and call on him. Like that, like that tax collector, that publican. Be mercy seated to me, the sinner. How many Pharisees would pound their chests and say, thank you, God, I'm not like the rest of the world. 
but take the place of that publican who couldn't even raise his face to look at God. Be mercy seated to me, the sinner. He's right. He's, he's better than I am in a lot of I, I don't compare myself to him. I compare myself to me and I'm nothing. I'm worthless. Then Christ will exalt you. Christ will open the gate to the kingdom for you. Those are the people who are in the kingdom. Those people who humbled themselves. You see, finally, in the glorious kingdom of our Lord, there won't be a person there who can brag on himself. Not one person. Not one person who can brag on himself. All, can, all he'll be able to do is brag on God. Brag on Jesus for what Jesus has done. The world needs the gospel. The world needs to be called to humility. The world needs to be reminded that pride destroys. Pride will always be brought low at the end of all things. So humble yourselves before God. And God in Christ will raise you up. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. Admit, believe, confess, and call. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The only way that we are moved to do that is to be stricken by conviction that we are helpless and that we are low without Christ. In a moment, I'll ask you to stand and in the act of standing, if you would come to Christ today, step out and come and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I, I want to be saved. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and God leads you to come and be a part of this congregation. We'll take care of all of the details of membership if that's what God wants in your life. Father God in heaven, bless our invitation and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing, okay?